0: All that, I tell you that to tell you this, do what you need to do to get through. But if the only thing that's making you feel better is running so hard that your brain shuts down and you can't think, be aware of that. To do it once in a while, I don't care, but it's going to catch up to you. It's going to catch up to your knees and your hips and your joints. And we don't want that. Once in a while, doing whatever you want is fine. Two or three times a week. As long as you are kind of dialing into your body and not trying to zone out of your body signals, then it's fine. I would just be very cautious about it. And that's how. Hi, I'm coach MK, founder of the fitness protection program. I'm a run coach, not a life coach. We're never really talking about the running. Running is the tool. It's the conduit we use to examine the world we live in, as well as its impact on our own lives and the lives of the people around us. How we react to certain people and to certain stories tells us a lot about how we view ourselves. I'm committed to the thoughtful, intentional exploration of the importance of running so that no one discounts their own badassery ever. Final note, this podcast is geared towards every runner who won't lose their home, livelihood, or health insurance if they show up to the corral with the hangover. Not that I'm encouraging you to do that, just saying. Sit back, relax, and enjoy the Fitness Protection Podcast. Hello! Happy Sunday night. I'm Coach MK, and we have a super special guest here, which I'm very excited about. Um, as always, I'm always so happy to talk to you in this day and age when I'm never quite sure until the very last minute if we're gonna have any questions. I'm like, well, I need someone I can talk to so at least I can fill some time and
1: <laughs> And not feel like you're just speaking to an empty room. Yeah, I'm empty never,
0: stadium. I never feel that way when I'm talking to you. Okay. Oh, I think we've learned the hard way that you and I could find things to talk about, like if anything, we need reason to stop. <laughs>
1: That's true. That's true. It was so fun to have Jumi on the other day. So we recorded an upcoming podcast episode. And it's just awesome to have just like a counterbalance there. And mm-hmm. I still feel like we can carry people with us down any rabbit hole. But <laughs> at least the rabbit else.
0: there you go. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. We got a lot of things going on tonight. This is one of those nights where I was like, I don't know if anything's going to happen. So we're going to make everything happen. And everyone said, yes, thankfully, which is amazing. So I'm like, Oh, now I got to make sure I don't screw up. I just create a lot of work. <laughs> I have faith in you. You can do it. Thank you. Well, I, if I can do it without a hair dryer, anything's possible. I'm so bitter. I'm so bitter. What happened to your hair dryer? I have the world's most expensive hair dryer. Like I'm embarrassed to admit, like it's a Dyson and the you know, those oh, aren't cheap. Yeah. But, They do come with a lifetime guarantee. And I have ridiculously thick hair. Like my ponytails are like that big. It's it's a blessing and a curse, but it takes forever to dry. Mm. And the first time my hairdresser used a Dyson on me, like she saw me coming and was like, oh, look what I got for you. Pulls it out. My hair is dry in seven minutes. That's like... A record. Unheard so yeah. like, oh, I I need one of those. And that was my Valentine's Day gift last year. Unfortunately, we live in a hundred and fifty-year-old house with hundred and fifty-year-old electricity. So I plugged it in one day, I guess, and it just shorted the whole thing out, which is a real disappointment. So wow. lifetime guarantee, it would be I get I do get a replacement, but God knows when it's gonna get here. So yeah, in between, I'm just like, we got wet hair, new earrings.
1: Oh, no. It's so wait play. a minute. So was your hair as thick as it was in the uh broadcast, I think you did two days ago with no blow dryer. Mm-hmm. Was that with no blow dryer? No blow
0: dryer. Oh, mm-hmm.
1: that's not fair. My hair is not thick. I used to think it was thick because it's really tightly coiled. And so it takes up a lot of space. Yeah. But when I when I had some thinning because of the thyroid issue, I had yeah. to have my scalp examined. And when they showed it to me under the microscope and explained like a follicle could have anywhere from one to like I think they said four hairs coming out of it, maybe five. And that is what determines the density of your hair. And like everybody has a set point for for you. It's like already programmed in how long your growth cycle is going to be, which means how long is your hair going to be and how thick is your hair going to be? How many follicles, how many hairs come out of each follicle? Really? And I only had three. And in the areas where it was a little thin, I was down to two. Ooh. And I could see the thinness because of that. And they worked on it from there, but they said, oh, from these healthy follicles, we can see that your hair really is never that thick. It's just like, you know, it's like average. It's not crazy thin, but it's just average. And yeah, I wish my hair was that thick. Now I can really see what they were talking about. You can, if you look at the scalp of people who have really dense hair, mm-hmm. how you can barely even see their scalp, you know, because- yeah. They have a ton of hair. I'm jealous. That's
0: me. My hair is really thick. It's incredibly coarse. Um, We use shampoo that we used on the horses for a long time. <laughs> oh my God. There's nothing else. Like we just needed so much of it. Oh, um, yeah. Yeah. And oh, I used but still, that's
1: a good hack.
0: I mean, it was it until work? it somehow became cool. Like the things that we used around the farm, we because like the horse hair shampoo is I think you can now buy it at Walmart like you don't have to go to the co-op and bag bomb which we you know you put on the cow's tits in the winter and keep them from shopping I think that is now sold alongside Vaseline so I have um, seen some
1: of the like um things you use on your feet that used to be for animals have that, like, they're available at CVS yeah. and Walgreens now. But mm-hmm. I started buying, I don't know if this is not good, but I get it's basically like Biofreeze for horses. Yeah. And I get it from the feed store. I haven't seen that it's made
0: that to CVS. The it, only thing I would say that you don't want is the tranquilizer for horses. Oh. Sold as a party drug called ketamine or special K. But pretty much anything else for horses, I think is pretty good.
1: Well, I'm pretty sure they won't sell that at the feed store. I wouldn't think so, yeah. right? Only the uh, vet okay. <laughs> I don't know that's
0: where you go, know, but...
1: You know, oh, <laughs> goodness, that reminds me of another crazy story. Just as some friend who was dating a loser who was taking their cat's tranquilizers, and presumably the cat actually needed it. So they were straight up stealing medication from their but pet. The and I from their cat. And I was like, how many do they have to take? Like this is crazy. Anyway, and I just said, I you think yeah. they need to take like a human
0: would need to take uh, like a month supply so of
1: it. It's very suspicious that they were able to continue to fill that script. I don't know what their story was about why their cat needed so much of it. I would have thought you're going to oh, like you're going to make the cat OD. I don't know, but they Are were still miss-
0: Susan, are you listening to this? I am hearing this. Uh, oh my god! Sorry, Susan was here to give us an update on three days fair people, but she also okay, is, is a cat owner, and that's why I had to bring her up because I am like, all right. So, how right. You, as as a cat haver, when, have you ever had to tranquilize your cats? I feel I like I tried, need to know,
2: but it's not a bad idea uh, for worry, travel.
1: Oh wow! Oh,
2: fine. I so would we, never waste cat tranquilizers on a human. <laughs>
1: I've tried to travel with cats before, and that was such a nightmare. One of them was totally cool with it, and the other one was having a meltdown. And that's the only time I really wish I would have gotten them a prescription before we hit the road.
0: Wow. So how long was this dude stealing the cat tranquilizers before she got onto it? And how long did she, before she dumped the guy? You
1: know what? It was one of those things where in hindsight, the friend starts to reveal how bad the person really was. We already thought he was bad news, but then she's like, yeah. And I guess I should have known, you know, that he had a little bit of a substance abuse issue because he was stealing Fluffy's meds. And I'm like, yeah, yeah, you should have known. And even worse, like who takes anything from their cat? You're supposed to take care. You're supposed to give them all the nice things. I'm on a waiting list for some cats right now. I'm really hoping that COVID nineteen doesn't interfere with me getting my babies
0: that haven't been born yet. I hope I not. A cat know, lover. There is a baby chick shortage in the United States because so many families went out to buy them, thinking the same thing. We had we had a person that was going to that was headed that day to buy baby chicks and said, "Well, that would be fun in quarantine. We can have um, you know quarantina. That I was like, can we call, can I call a quarantine a Turner, please? That would be so amazing, oh, so like. Cute. But, but the person wasn't. I don't know if the person was able to get chicks or not. But the next day, I read it was it was a headline: baby chicks sold out across the United States. Like breeders I are like, leave us alone.
1: Line. I was, I wonder: do all of these people have a history with taking care of chicks? Do they actually know what to do? Are there that many people that know what to do, or did people get a wild hair and think oh, I can figure mm. it out?
0: I have no idea. <laughs> I have no idea. I mean, just like you saw in Tiger King, the theory, big cat people are horrible people. Generally speaking, they say this at the beginning and you hear this from like three or four different characters. Anyone in from my area will tell you that chicken people are crazy. Really? Um, like, people who really get into it and like treat them like pets and want them in their house. Like you gotta go I watch, can't say want them that. in your
1: house. I knew people growing up that had them in the house because they didn't want their neighbors to steal them. Or That's they different. didn't want them to be eaten by pets. And they different. hated the fact that they had to keep them inside because they're so dirty. They go to yeah. the bathroom a lot. Mm-hmm. They shed a lot. So mm-hmm. who would do that on, like,
0: just for the heck of it? And some of the most dangerous viruses on the planet originate in birds. Ask any veterinarian, like, the, the time that they cover, you know, avian anything in veterinary schools enough to turn them off and say, like, categorically, we don't serve these in our practice. <laughs> oh, wow! because mm-hmm. they're so transmissible to be anyway so that's a long long way of saying like of all the things you want in your house chicken ain't on the list so people who <laughs> dream like puppies you got to watch out for oh thank you for the wisdom we
1: if said this before about the hipsters and their food ideas and how they get uh they're so misguided
0: so, you know, I'm Coach MK. I'm founder of the Fitness Protection Program. And I like to say we're never really talking about the running. And sometimes we are not talking about anything having to do with running. Uh, but we will start that very shortly. First, we're going to say hi to Dahlia Kinsey, who we have formerly deigned our chief nutrition officer as we prepare to roll out nutrition programs for the second half of the year. Hey, congratulations for joining us, Dahlia. I love having you in a more concrete form. It's really exciting. Being locked in, golden handcuffs and all, and all whatnot, you know, <laughs> well, gold plated, but we'll take, we'll take it for now. I'll,
1: I'll take it. I'll take it. <laughs>
0: After chatting with Dahlia for a bit, we're gonna turn around and take a look at the weekly wins uh from our and get an update on our runners, who are some of whom are still planning for three days at the fair, even though it's looking highly unlikely that fall races are going to happen at all. That's what exactly what we're gonna discuss with uh Dalia over here. Thinking of her as Coach Dahlia today. She's gonna talk to us about vacation eating. We just did a whole podcast about it. And if vacation eating is what you've been doing, um Letting sort of really letting things go to, in your, in your mind too far in one direction, telling yourself that's going to be okay. Well, if this, if, if what you're doing now isn't sustainable to the end of the year, it might be time to dial it in. And Dahlia is going to tell us how to do that uh, in a healthy, manner with free from shame and, you know, the, the whole diet culture, which it's not always about losing weight. It is about taking care of yourself. And I say this lovingly as someone who ate, um, nothing but cupcakes yesterday. Uh, and it was a great day. My run today sucked. <laughs> I was like, Ooh, that is exactly what we mean by fuel. I had, no- I definitely had enough calories. I definitely had some starch. Sugar was great, Oof, uh, but I did, did not get enough, enough protein yesterday and today I felt it. So um, it's not about being perfect. It's just about not being too stupid every day, no matter what. So there you go. We'll let Dahlia give you the perspective. Susan will give us the updates on three days at the fair folks. And then we will move into taking questions as we do every week. Ask away. We do have a couple questions in there for Dahlia as well, uh, but we'll start with the really fun questions at the top. And then the rest are in the body of the program as we get to it later. So thank y'all for being here. Thanks for having us. Thank Thank you. you. This is very exciting for me. I believe this, this is the first time I are going to hang out with Dahlia. I going to say, you've never gotten to hang this out with is Dahlia me. before. Nope. Susan was nope. a super fan from the first time she heard your voice, Dahlia.
1: Oh, uh, that's so awesome. I feel like I know you already from you actually watching our live streams. Sometimes I feel like nobody, <laughs> nobody's there. I'm like, oh, look, Susan's there. <laughs> Emily's there.
2: <laughs> I have a common sense approach to nutrition. <laughs> very awesome. Good.
1: Thank you.
2: Yay.
0: Well, do you want to go ahead first then and tell um and tell everyone how the people at three days at the fair mm-hmm. are doing? Cause so I know it's dinner time there and I don't want to keep you forever.
2: So some people, since the race has been postponed till October, are kind of sliding back into maintain. And I'm really impressed it's how I'm seeing people really listen to their minds and bodies and figuring out what they need because this is you know such a strange time, um, however, we do have a couple of people who are planning to run their own race on the original date using home base as an aid station. Francine Scheller ran for ten hours this weekend and covered seventy five k Woof she is a beast <laughs>
0: that's amazing,
2: and she's always got an encouraging word for everybody. And I just, I love her and she's (laughs) doing great. And I'm excited to see what she's going to do. And also we have Amanda Williams, who is planning to run her first 50K. And she also is planning to run her own race from home. And she got a really tough four-hour run done today. And I loved it because she um, live-streamed a couple of times in the Facebook group to let us know how she was doing. And um, I know she had a tough run, but you know, MK, like those tough runs are really the ones that build you
0: up. Absolutely. later are not a sign. And I know it's so hard to shake it off because the thought is always, oh my gosh, if I can't do this today, how will I do it on race day? And I'm like, well, on race day, you're going to be tapered, you're going to be nourished. You will have slept the night before. I know the week before a race is the time when I've always been the most cognizant of what I put in my body and making sure that I'm, you know, again, it's not about being perfect. It's about not eating only cupcakes in a, in a, re- a realistically 36 hour period after, uh, too many, uh, ruffles sour cream and and cheddar, which is just like amazing, but you need protein. Protein is good. Uh, so I, I say that, say you this, you're not doing those things generally during race week. And so when you show up, you're going to be really ready to go. So I like to think, instead of thinking you're as weak as your worst training run, that the worst moment of the race won't come anywhere near that bad training run. Mm-hmm. Like you're going to be above that. You've just trained that it's, it's now in the past. Right. I worry about people who've had perfect training cycles. Cause I'm like, Um, are you going to be able to withstand any shocks or surprises on race day? You haven't had to pivot or think. And again, I don't wish hardship on everyone, but there's a certain amount of learning that comes from having a bad day that feels like a failure so that you are more prepared when the day comes. So a day like today, Amanda, I mean, it does not define you. It's just going to make race day better.
2: And after having trained with you last year, I can tell you that all of the things that MK is is saying is true. Like there is, um, it's, you know, I trained with people who, you know, not everybody did like the second run of the day or, and that's fine because it doesn't always fit in, but those little details really do help on race day because you learn how to go back out when you don't feel like it. And it does just make you more mentally fit, and the day you have your event, you're so excited that, like you said, you it does put you above. You oh, know, what a nice comment! Producing.
0: I know that's a super nice comment. We've got, we've got, we've got the best people. I love, I love what we're doing over here. But you got, you've been awesome in leading that group season. I know it hasn't gone the way that Do- you, Dahlia, and I had planned. When we first uh, put together the three days of the fair training program, but we are not going to be shortchanging anyone on it. If you paid for the training, you will get the training. Even if the race is not happening when we exactly when we think it will, we will shift everything to the fall. We will shift everything to next spring and we'll allow new people to come in and join. We'll be opening up as soon as we have some certainty on when the, when the, the races are actually going to happen. But between now and then, we will make sure that you get your money's worth every step mm-hmm. of the way. It has been fun.
2: It has been, and I'm I mean kind of happy that I get to hang out with everyone longer me too. So.
0: me too. I love anyway, Western exactly does so, there.
2: so we can get there. It's life-changing time. So that's awesome. really
1: is.
0: Thank you for the update. Could be congratulations to uh, Francine to Amanda. like those runs do look hard and long, and the sheer mileage these women are logging are, is just. Mind-blowing, mind-blowing. Mm-hmm. If you don't follow them, if you could, wouldn't mind throwing their Strava links in here so if people want to want to follow them and we'll add them to the show notes too. And people can see what our three days people who are still like in the throes of hardcore training are doing for fun on their weekends. It's a whole lot of running, spoiler alert.
1: I love the idea of the live stream, like for support, it's like people are cheering you on from the sidelines long distance.
2: Mm-hmm. Exactly.
1: You need that. You really do the longer you're out there.
0: Oh, my God. Well, thanks again, Susan. I'm sure we will see you. My pleasure. Thanks, Have, Susan. You. Have a good night.
1: Good night. Good
0: night. Ooh, that was that's It's, it's always so fun to see what Susan's doing with those ladies. She's got that, that room under control. There are Sundays. I don't know what day it is. And I'm like, Oh, it's a day that ends why I probably need to check in. And I, and Susan's got, she's on top of everything. It's terrific. Yeah. It's good working with people that are so everyone's so reliable. That when I draw, I, it, it's not all contingent upon me like remembering everything all the time, which it would just be a disaster in the first place.
1: <laughs> I mean, it's a lot. It's a lot. You have a lot of rooms and groups and conversations going in different places.
0: We hired the marketing team. They came in and took one look and they were like, "Oh, you're doing some sophisticated stuff." I'm like, "Huh?" <laughs> like, I not to say to that. They were like, "No, no, 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 no. This is just not what we were expecting at all." Oh, and. We do, we do have a lot of moving pieces, some of which um, will be become, will become more evident as the year goes on. Build, uh, the program for brand new runners will be opening up on May the 1st. Keep an eye out if you are not on our email mailing list. Be sure to get on it. Tell your friends. If you have anyone who's thinking of taking up running right now, uh, this is the program for them. We try to make it affordable and accessible to all. And hopefully Dahlia will be coming in every once in a while doing like she is right now, um, answering very basic questions for brand new runners who will be inundated with Information, which was what I see the, the main role of a chief nutrition officer to be is the person who sets the tone and as well as the course for all nutrition related programming and messaging throughout the company um, and make sure everything would everything would then roll up to you. So it, we wouldn't be saying one thing in one area with one nutritionist and then another thing somewhere else with something different. Like we are trying to push back against diet culture and keep perspective there. Some people are here to lose weight and that's totally fine, but not everything needs to be about weight loss specifically. Um, there are other ways to look at the world and definitely food. And I feel like your attitude is super healthy towards it.
1: Thank you. I feel like my goal is for people after they've had contact with us to be better off for it. So there are a lot of programs that you can go through that will get you to whatever your temporary goal is, whether you're trying to get into a wedding dress or do something for a special event. But afterward, when you rebound, you're not better off for the experience. Mm -mm. So even if you start running and realize that's not your favorite form of running, or you start working with us and realize for whatever reason, it's not a fit, you should still have skills and things that you've learned that you can take with you as you manage to do your own thing on your own. Like I love the fitness protection brand promise that, you know, eventually, ideally you would be capable of coaching yourself, but if we're doing our jobs, you wouldn't want to try to. Mm -hmm. So I don't think there are a lot of company, that's just, to me, it's a powerful approach to business that you don't want for people to be dependent on you you want for people to have sustainable skills that they can take with them throughout the life cycle. And when you look at eating in a sustainable way, a mm-hmm. lot of the products you see out there obviously are only meant for short term use. Yes. Technically any diet can work if you could stay on it forever. Mm-hmm. So if I would be leery of a program that has, you know, the different phases and then a maintenance phase, if it's subtle enough to where you barely notice that you're doing it, that's probably a better sign. Like if you don't need notes and you don't need, you know, to keep monitoring and checking yourself, that's good. You want to be as close to how you naturally want to eat as possible, depending on what your objectives are, though. Some things just aren't going to work. So a day of cupcakes. I remember back when I mentioned in the podcast, I did have a period of time where I was running. I was very, very young and my body was pretty forgiving up to a point, but I remember my sister-in-law's like almost, 27 years older than me Mm -hmm. and so much fitter. Now, there's a person who has been consistent about their fitness over the life cycle, but we had trained together for the first 5K. We ran the peach tree in Atlanta together. Oh, yeah. So that's a huge, huge race. And Mm -hmm. it's so many people on the street. The only people who really get to pick up any speed are the people that are seated and are in the front, you know everybody else is just looking at costumes and having fun and heating to death. Uh, there are some Hills though, that are pretty brutal, but anyway, mm-hmm. but when we were training, we saw people all over town way, way, way older than her just killing those Hills, man. And it's a beautiful thing to see somebody comfortable and their body, you know, that's an independent person. That oh, yeah. is not a person who has to get help getting on and off the toilet. There's no shame in that. However, No one would pick that for themselves. Correct. No one. No Mm -hmm. one wants to have help going to the bathroom as they age or at any point. So one of my goals for my personal fitness is to be able to maintain my independence throughout the life cycle. And that requires strength. And that requires a strong heart. Mm -hmm. And all of these are things that fit very well with running if that gives you joy. If this is a practice you can sustain throughout the life cycle. And it's fine if you get to a point where you choose to do something else, but nothing is ever a waste if it isn't detrimental. So even if this ends up not being what you're doing in your fifties and your sixties and your seventies, it still is a benefit to you. If Mm -hmm. there are, were active years in your past and you transition to something that's more gentle or whatever, that's fine. But you don't necessarily have to because there are people who are running into their eighties and their nineties. This is something that's part of some people's lives forever. But what I was going to say about eating well and that sustaining your exercise is we were doing so well with our training until I decided to go out for Mexican the day before I went for a run. And when I go out for Mexican, it's a lot of heavy food. It's a lot of margaritas and it's a lot of Free fried beans, and I felt like I was running with bricks strapped to me that was yeah. not com- there was nothing technically wrong with that, but it wasn't a fit for what I was trying to do the next day, yeah, so when you look at what you've been doing for the last two weeks, three weeks, four weeks in quarantine. Does it fit with what you're trying to do is the question.
0: Absolutely. I mean, for me, that day we had gone around my son. My son's birthday was earlier in the week and we weren't able to get a cake the night before because reasons the kids really just on sugar is. I mean, I know that the, a lot of the myths about sugar and their behavior. But there, it's so not to blame the sugar itself, but rather the fact that if we start the day with that, they become demons that we don't want to end the day with. So we like to contain it on the weekends when, when like we can handle the madness. So we did that, and what we thought we did, and we drove to the first bakery where we thought we could get them, and then the second bakery turns out all these bakeries that usually do gluten free stuff um, are only doing it special order. And um, and it's and you need all this time. And anyway, it was a big pain. So we're sitting there, and the kids were driving around. They're like, the we finally find a place, the Make Believe Bakery, which is a vegan, gluten free bakery downtown. Um, and we were able to get a dozen of they. They look like ho I think they're called. Uh, the little Debbie ho hos and in oh, um, funfetti cupcakes, and I was just like, just give me a dozen, six each, and those were six dollars each. I was like, wait so, a minute, wait it, six dollars per ho ho, yep, per oh. gluten free, handmade, beautiful. Now, granted, they were they were. Turns out they're vegan too. I'm still impressed by that because I wouldn't have guessed. Um, they were delicious since I became, I was diagnosed with celiac. I have not had a custard filled anything, just it's so rare. Um, but it's also six dollars. So when my kids were like, you know, and they're huge, so they're eating half of it and they're oh. like, I'm done now. And my husband's like, put them in the trash. I'm like, no, nah! <laughs> but you can throw away $50. I'm not this like, I'm not not the person who makes them all clean their plates, but this is a time where I was like, okay, I'll put them in me. And I did.
1: Well, that's just the thing. And there's that, especially if you have a health condition that makes it hard to access your treats. That's yeah. understandable. Now, for everybody who can eat gluten, there's no shortage of cupcakes, nor is yeah. it difficult for you to get cupcakes. Yeah. So, just remember that when you decide you have to clear your plate or I do hate to throw expensive food away, especially yeah. food that you know doesn't save well. Macarons. Because there's something, yeah, mm-hmm. there's some things that just they're not they're meant to be in after they were made. Period, you yeah. know. Um like french fries. Who has ever yeah. brought a French fry back to life? You can try, you can bake them, you can air fry them. But, you know, it's once they're done, they're done. But then you have to think about uh, if your other option was to put it in the trash and you eat it and you don't really want it anymore because you're stuffed and you don't really want it anymore because you've lost the good sensation that comes at the beginning of eating something when you really have a craving. If you really pay attention, the deeper into eating something, the less interesting it gets. If you're to that point where you're not hungry, you're overstuffed and it's not even that tasty anymore, you are not a substitute for the trash can. You're not, you're just not. So it's it's definitely fine to do it. What's done is done. (laughs) But it's like when you really think about it cuz I know a lot of moms who clear their kids' plates because they hate food waste. But you are you're not a trash can. If yeah. that food isn't bringing you joy or sustenance, yeah. then you can either save it and have, you know, so-so leftovers, something saved beautifully. Yeah. Or you can put it in the trash because if it's just extra calories for you that you did not enjoy, then there's no point because you have to carry that later if it's beyond
0: what you needed and beyond what you wanted. <laughs> you I kind of to- don't mind carrying it right here. feels good. <laughs> still, I still taste it in my tongue. It's so nice. And I'm not ashamed. Like, it's not, and I'm not sitting here like berating myself. That's good. But it, it's more like a little sheepish, like, yeah, my run hurt today. And my husband was like, what did you expect? You didn't eat any dinner or lunch. All you like, this is all you had. I'm like, I was really full. They were so rich. I couldn't have put anything else in. So it is, it is what it is, but I didn't need today's run to be spectacular. What's been complicated in the past is, um, generally speaking, before I started fitness protection, the only way I could find a coach is if I was training for an event. And so people are coming to me, they want to, trained so they it's kind of convoluted like if we could have had uh anything other than a training cycle where i'm kind of being judged by their finish time mm-hmm. uh, or they're judging whether or not the program worked at the value if i added value by like did i improve during this 20-week period and that's a that's a lot like you can't right. say that how are you going to isolate that it's my program versus whatever the, the fitness that you were bringing to, to day one or the habits that you have during. And I hated having these conversations with people who are like, you know, really, really, really want to PR. And I'm like, all right, then you got to take strength seriously. And you've got to sleep through the night and you got to, you know, you don't have to eat clean or perfectly. I don't like that thought, but you got to eat consciously and you've yeah. got to make, you know, you know what good choices are. You got to make them because if you, you know, have nothing but cupcakes the day before the race and then the race doesn't go well, you don't get to blame me. Right, right. You know, you that we need a way to determine what is me and the program versus what is everything else. And there's no good mechanism for that. So I hated just the way the conversations were structured over time because I want people to succeed and I don't want people to put pressure or undo pressure on a training cycle when realistically it doesn't really change the outcome by that much. Like you're, the die is cast on day one of the training cycle. And all you can do is sort of like, keep the the white noise out of the picture or, you know, you can tank yourself if that makes sense. It's not like if I pick the right plan, I want the plan that's going to get me as as fast as I can get 20 weeks from now. It's like, it's really going to come down to your lifestyle during the training and how consistent you are during the training than it is the training plan itself. So um, I think a major
1: benefit is coming out just as healthy and as capable as you went in. Exactly. More than anything,
0: and I don't want them burn out, and I don't want them hating running, and I don't want people saying like, "Gosh, I need two or three months off, and then maybe I'll come back." Because I really don't want to lose my fitness. And I'm like, so that was where maintain came from. We're just going to maintain this high base that doesn't require a very long ramp to be ready for a marathon. So if you are determined to have a performance type cycle, we've limited the amount of burnout you can put your or the strain you can put on yourself. We've limited if you have food concerns we have limited the amount of time that you could be exposing yourself to the type of thinking that could be detrimental to you. You know, it's not perfect, but it's better than 20 weeks. So if we can just make this a sustainable habit to maintain, you don't have to worry so much about the day-to-day because the pressure's off the day-to-day, if that, right. you know, conceptually makes sense. And I really want to be able to, I see maintain as a whole suite of programs that would be nutrition and biking or because we'll get people who don't want to run okay then what is your thing if you have one thing it is this but if there's a race that you want to do we can keep the specificity but as well as the fitness as well as the mental health by giving people multiple options what's hard is when a runner comes to me and says you know like i love biking and i love swimming but i really need to pr this race and i'm like well then you can't swim your way to a a marathon pr so we just but if we maintain appropriately there are things that we can do to keep your joints and, and tendons and ligaments adapted enough that we wouldn't need as long a ramp. So I look forward to building out all of these optionalities, you know, starting with nutrition with you. That's It'll be really fun.
1: exciting. That's really exciting. And I love that you I think that even though you say, Oh, you ate more than you planned on because the kids got full and they didn't want any more, that they were still giving you joy at the end.
0: Still because even, baby even baby. in
1: hindsight. <laughs> But to me, that's different. There's a value there. Like, yeah. you know, the difference when somebody eats the nasty little um, slobbered on spoonfuls of chicken nuggets and
0: they don't want good wants about that. about themselves. Yeah. yeah so they they already them.
1: chewed on mm-hmm. it. Some of it fell out of their mouth. You don't want that. <laughs> don't yeah. eat yeah. if you don't want it. And then don't beat yourself up about anything that has already happened and what's yeah. done is done. And yeah it's just information. If the way you've been eating during quarantine is not making you feel good in your body, that is just information. It's nothing to feel guilty about. What you do temporarily doesn't determine anything. You know, It's just a little blip. We're looking for a pattern of eating. That's what determines what types of results you're going to see from your eating you can decide right now that at the next meal you want to eat something that you think will give you joy and give you energy so look for both and pay attention to when the food isn't giving you any pleasure anymore because that's information coming from your body your body is letting you know that you might be done with this
0: absolutely absolutely and i and i i've been that mom too with a special needs child back when the special needs were much more pronounced than they um, are now four years of therapy later. It was really hard for me to sit down during a meal because I had a toddler um, on the spectrum and I had a daughter that was 13 and a half months older and wasn't really good with um, utensils or anything. So it was, I was was more like sort of standing up and managing from above like a mama bird, more, much more than, um, and sitting down and eating for me might not come for three or four hours. And it was hard. There were some nights when it's like, I haven't eaten yet. It's already six o'clock. They've got to get to bed. Uh, this is dinner. And what I had to do, cause that didn't make me feel good. And I never felt nourished and I never felt full. And I like, I deserve better than the scraps left. You know, I'm, I, I am too good for that, you know, and it's in most of us are. So with, to that knowledge, rather than pouting about like, it's not fair that I don't get to have a meal. And cause I was pouting, I um, had with it for lack of a better term, but I was, I, I was shortchanging myself. So what I started doing was preparing mine first and eating while either while I made their dinner, because just for a really long time, just take my word for it, sitting down wasn't possible. If it had been, I would have done it. Um, But feeding myself and then feeding them. So the whole like, put your own oxygen mask on first really resonated for me. And I became, that was when I went back to some of the basics that you and I've been working out with the plan B meal plan, just trying to be formulaic about it, making sure I had something I could always, a template that even if I didn't have to think, not too many decisions to be made, nothing to to, like to limit the preparation to assembly to ensure that I always had something. And it makes
1: sense if you're the caretaker, your energy and your health is the most important because if something happens to you, then all these other vulnerable people are going to have an even harder time. But Mm -hmm. conceptually and culturally to feed yourself first as the mom is like unheard of. Mm -hmm. I never actually read the book, but I remember watching Terry Hatcher talk about her book entitled burnt toast. And based on her summary, it was about not taking the scraps anymore and Mm -hmm. not being the mom that takes the burnt toast, you know, and prioritizing herself and how that was an important, form of self care someone who's actually read it could <laughs> shed some more light on that, but I thought, oh, that's such a good concept, so
0: it really yeah, is. and I'm the important. person who likes the burnt toast and the burnt rice at the bottom of the of the maker, but that's me.
1: well, if you actually like it, that's awesome. I heard such a sad story from um I think my husband was telling the story because his mom used to explain that they always thought their mom liked the giblets and the leftovers because she was feeding the kids first. And she would always say, oh, I just love them so much. Save them for me. And she would just take like the bones of what was left. And then Mm -hmm. later, because they were raised during the depression as adults, they were like, oh my God, mom was starving and she wanted us to eat. First, it was so sad that it's kind of beautiful, but those were desperate times. Things are not on that level right now
0: no, no, they are not, even though there are comparisons to the great depression um from an economic standpoint there is it not it's it's not going to be it's not going to penetrate the economy as thoroughly or to the same level right so yeah eating e- e- eating the scraps it's it's something to it's it's just something to think about me finishing off like all these cupcakes was was Partially, they was good. Uh, they, and two, like you said, they wouldn't say, I don't feel bad about it. But there was a time when I was taking scraps and feeling horrible about it. So if that's where you're at, I would advise you to think a little bit differently because what you as especially ask anyone training for three days at the fair right now or last year, what you eat has a direct correlation with how you feel. It's like when my husband yells at me for not putting the super unleaded gas in the tank of his, uh, uh, his new car. And I'm like, oh, it matters because I don't think about it. I'm like, what's the cheapest? Because I have a 6,000 right. minivan, the poop car, as my son calls it, because it does smell <laughs> like poop. But that's what, I don't need anything nicer than that with four kids that are this little, man.
1: Yeah. Yeah. I think intention is different. So what is right for you, someone else could be doing the same thing and that's wrong for them. So yeah, you have to tailor all of this advice to you and your life.
0: Absolutely. What we want is to make sure that people feel good, as good as I feel when I ate all those cupcakes, without feeling as bad as I felt on that run where I was like, oh, this is a bad idea. <laughs> <sighs> it's how do you address the shame? Right now I feel none, just a little embarrassment, but a shame is something that you feel. Address that and respond to that with more shame and promises of overcorrecting, but rather, um, like like Dolly says, just think of it as a data point and do differently. The next day before, if what we're doing now is going to become not the new normal, but the remainder of 2020, then we don't want you feeling this way for the next eight months. Right. So first question feels like we're eating 12 hours a day. It never ends. It's a domino effect. One can't ask for something and the others are like me too. And I'm like, we had breakfast an hour ago. I believe the two-year-old is hungry because nothing got in her mouth, but the rest of y'all ate plenty. I don't want to tell them how to feel, but there is no way that they all want a peanut butter sandwich one hour after downing a bowl of cereal. I'm pretty sure it's a perceived justice Fairness thing. Why does she get a sandwich and I don't? How do I work with this in a way that doesn't, does not come across as shaming to the older kids who are five, seven and eight. Hmm.
1: Well, I wonder if it would work if you cut up the sandwiches, like you make more than one sandwich and you cut them up in pieces and tell them they can have what they want until they're satisfied and see what they do so that they don't get what looks like a whole and think, oh, this is one thing. So I'm going to eat this whole thing. Maybe all they want is a mouthful or two, and then they'll get bored and run off and play. Maybe.
0: That's an idea. Okay. So we'll try that. And if that does not work, come back, let us know. And we will pivot with another suggestion. But that's a great place to start. So it's just like, why does she get the thing? Well, everybody gets a little piece of the thing. Do you really want a whole sandwich? Probably not. You You just don't want it left out.
1: Right. Exactly. Did you even want that? Yeah. yeah, I think you're right. They probably don't really. Yeah.
0: Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Oh, So not really a nutrition question, but you both are very honest in a way I appreciate because you share things that most people don't. Honest question. What to you is TMI? As people who share a lot of yourselves and are clearly thoughtful about it, what do you consider oversharing to be?
1: Oh, I love what Brene sounds uh blah. Brene Brown says about sharing your story. That it can be powerful, but then at the same time, there's some people who haven't earned the right to hear your story. Like they haven't earned your trust. So I would say if you have something very personal that you typically hold close to your heart, I wouldn't share it with just anyone. Yeah. Uh, if you don't trust them to handle that information and how it may make you feel if they don't handle well, you know, it like, I've had a lot of um, friends and I was going to say family, but no, all friends who've confided in me that they were survivors of abuse, but that was, and even some of them have verbalized that that was because they knew one, I could make the space for them to like sit with that news. Mm-hmm. And not dismiss it and not be weird about it and not almost act like, oh, you've burdened me with this bad news or this dark secret, you know, they, but they waited until they felt comfortable that I could be trusted to handle it in a way that wouldn't be hurtful, but helpful. So Mm -hmm. it could be TMI, depending on what the information is, how sensitive it is to you, and how far out that information is going. The things that I share that I know other people wouldn't talk about, it's usually because I've already processed and rejected the idea of feeling shame and association with it. So even if someone would try to throw it back in my face, it won't work because I simply don't believe it's shameful. So I rebuke the idea that having anxiety and being on medication for mental health issues is shameful. I completely reject that. So I, I feel like it's important to break down the stigma by saying that you have an issue when you have an issue. And I know too many people who refuse to take medication because in their mind, they're only ill if they're taking it. When right. in reality, they're not living their best life and they're struggling because of stigma. It's like the stigma is making them more ill than the illness itself because there is treatment available. Because I have such issues with that whole thing. I Deliberately share and I understand that criticism could come from that. And I understand that someone may decide like they don't want to hire me or work with me because if someone discriminates against you because you're part of a protective class, but it's not clear that that's what's happened. Mm-hmm. People are free to do that. People do that all the time. Like it doesn't that you just would make sure you didn't ask me during the interview, like, so are you still on Lexifer? Like, what's the deal with that? You know what I mean? Like people are still able to discriminate against you based upon whatever protected class issues you reveal. But at the same time, I know personally, I don't want to be in an organization that tolerates that type of behavior because I don't believe it's imperceptible. It may just be an accepted norm, like one of those. Things that have become part of company culture that are just unspoken. So I don't have an issue with the fallout. So that's one thing you have to decide. What is the potential fallout? And are you comfortable tolerating that? And are you still processing shame around it? And if you are, be cautious about who you allow. That close to you and know that sharing, I know as a younger person, sometimes I think I would overshare in an attempt to push a relationship forward faster than it was going to go. And I thought, Oh, you just put everything out there and you just open your heart and pour it all out. You can bond like that. And you can like, try and create years of connection like that. And you just can't, Mm -hmm. there's some people that you meet and you instantly click with, but you don't have to force it and you don't have to share anything you don't want to. You still feel connected. And yeah. then there's some things that only seem to happen with the passage of time. And if a friend is really going to be a friend to you for years, there's no rush. So those are all things to think about.
0: For for me, I only acknowledge, I mean, to, to me, oversharing is a grotesque way of shutting people up. Like, thanks for mm-hmm. the overshare. Like it it does, it, it puts another person down. I've never seen it used gently. Like this is not neither the time nor place. Like if it came up for a reason, then it probably was the time or place. Wow. Um, I've never know. heard
1: any of those things said out loud. I just assumed she meant, how do you know when you've done that? I've never oh. heard anybody say that to somebody's face. So is that a thing that people do? Oh yeah. Oh my God. Oh yeah. It's starting to sound like... <laughs> It's starting to sound like maybe uh, uh certain people are struggling a little more than i thought. i wonder if the yep. person asking the question is coming from the same cultural group as you cuz that is bananas. that completely yeah. changes how i hear the question. i'm sorry, go ahead. i just didn't no, even know anything.
0: well, i put a lot out when i decided to i didn't think of myself as a public figure until an incident in 2017, which I'm not sharing like that to me is sort of the line like no one needs to know the story. It doesn't further any point that that I would try to to, to underscore. So the first thing when the, then what I did was I went public with my right, uh, which is underpins my entire thought system about what safety looks like for me, which does not look like what most people would consider the safe thing to be. Um, And that was due to the Miles for Molly campaign had just started. Uh, A woman had been attacked on a run and had been murdered. As a matter of fact, there had been some murders. And this had been a thing in the news a lot. And so runner safety was at the top tip of everyone's tongue. And most of the safety tips that I heard were horrible or they were being dispensed by men with no thought to the, to the female experience. So when I decided to to add my voice, I knew that in order to bat away, all of the bad advice would be just to play my trump card, so to speak, which is this, this highly personal story. So I waited until sexual assault awareness month, which is the month of April. And that's when I went public with it. And the reception was amazing. And once I had gotten over that, um, it's not like I bring up, you know, the R word after saying, how are you? Well, by the way, I was right. You know, it's not, I, I kind of know when to deploy it because I'm aware of how it, it hits the listener and how off-putting it can be and how uncomfortable it makes the other person, especially if they have not experienced something like this. So to me, oversharing, I'm not worried about doing it. What I'm cognizant of is, is the story that I'm telling my own? Am I comfortable? telling this story. Do I need support from the listener? If I do need support from the listener, I don't, I don't need to be telling the story. If I have not processed the story, I probably don't need to be telling the story because where I get uncomfortable when I feel like a person is oversharing is when they are sharing a moment with me that they have not fully processed. So I am acting as therapist to them, which I can say all the time, you know, running is not your therapy. I'm not your therapist. I'm a run coach. I get that we're not always talking about the running. I will give you the tools you need to go work this out on your own through therapist. So that it. It's not even that I consider that to be oversharing. It's just sort of like, this is misplaced. I will give you space, but I'm still not the person you need for this, if that makes sense. So that's why it makes me uncomfortable. What you're looking for is not something that I can, I'm qualified to give, but I can tell you where to go and I'll, I'll make the space. And then I, but I don't want to be the person that you return to over and over and over again. Like this is the space you keep coming back to, you know, I don't want them to feel shamed for opening up, but it just to make that, that boundary really clear because I can't be that I already do work that is very emotional and I have an emotional connection to it and to the people that that I serve. And I very much think of it as service. So I have to make sure that there's there are pieces of me for the long haul too. So when I think from the perspective of talking, if it's not my story, then I'm crossing a boundary. I'm probably oversharing. Uh, or to the other people whose stories intersect with the story I'm telling, they might consider it to be oversharing. And I have some people in the house that are not and do not ever want to be public figures in any right. way, shape or form. So that too is the switch in my brain where I became, you are either public and have a certain expectation of privacy or you are not and have a much higher expectation of privacy. So I have to be cognizant of the, inter- the people whose stories intersect with mine. If they're all private citizens and not public figures, then the, the bar for oversharing is a lot higher than it is if I'm just, you know, telling, speaking my truth. Right. So a lot of of people think that I overshare, but those same people, if you were to ask them basic questions about me, probably wouldn't be able to answer them. You know, so it's like, you know, a lot, you know, enough that makes that you're not asking me more questions that I don't want you to ask. It is very carefully crafted, even though it seems like I'm a loose cannon. You know, I probably spent more time drawing you into a place where you'd ask me the questions that I'm comfortable answering and without you realizing it. But that's that's a southern thing too.
1: Well, that's true too, the Southern thing and the transparency, but I do think it's interesting the things that even Southerners will say, these aren't things we discuss in mixed company, but at the same time, I've never, I've never seen anyone try and say, this is neither the time nor the place. I've seen that on TV. Yeah. Um. I just can't imagine, because to me, that is extremely rude to disrespect someone like that in front of others.
0: usually family members that say it. To
1: shame them like that, that to me is crazy. Yeah. And my mother was criticized for giving her children too much respect because she sees children as people who are young. That's always been how she presented it to us. We were allowed to ask questions. And if she felt like sick of hearing the questions, she'd be like, you know what, I'm kind of tired of answering questions right now. But she wouldn't say, just do it, or shut up, or I'm the adult, or whatever. She would just talk to us like we're people because, hello, children are people. So I don't, I, I just can't, that type mm-hmm. of disrespect really rubs me the wrong way, and I've just never seen that in person. But I mm-hmm. think that goes back to what you said about culturally people having a habit of silencing white women. Yeah. Apparently this is just... <laughs> like this thing that runs rampant that i hadn't really noticed um and i don't know if, if i'm just living a sheltered life or i wonder if other women my age and in my ethnic group would say like no i've never heard that out loud either or if i'm just the only one who's never heard that
0: well i also think that with the layers of privilege that exist, it's not your problem Yes, what happened, true. you know, so it's like the least of what I'll you have to worry that. about on every day. But so I wouldn't ex- like your awareness of that is so much less important than our awareness of the amount of vigilance you have to have each day when you leave the house. Like, yeah, that's like true. The, that
1: could cost me um my life versus. Yeah. Just being disrespected. That's a
0: good point. I'll take Absolutely. it. Absolutely. Like the first time I remember uh, watching the guy I was I was dating get dressed and was like, I'm like, well, wow, you really take this running thing seriously. <laughs> okay. And he's like, I have dark skin. This is DC. I got to make it really clear that I'm training and I'm not running away. I was like, oh, it's just so, I mean, it really, that moment really stuck with me. Like just, I had never thought of it from that perspective yeah, it's really, like really spring crazy. from person
1: to person. Yeah, and it being so gendered too, because my brother yeah. he had gained a little bit of weight, and he jokingly said he couldn't exercise outdoors until he looked like a athletic person again. Mm-hmm. But then later, I saw like he was serious. He was only going to the gym, and he usually likes to trail run and be outdoors. But he waited until he could get back in running in like his gym shorts. And uh, no no shirt because who has ever gone out and like robbed people with no shirt on I don't think anyone has done that I don't know
0: I don't know I don't know but something new is going to happen every day
1: Well, somebody's Just, probably done it in Florida no shade Florida you know it's true but everywhere else hot. <laughs> nobody's done it that's true it's hot we'll give them that
0: oh, my lord <laughs> Well, that is everything we feel about oversharing. And that story I just told, by the way, if my mother were to hear it, she doesn't listen to this podcast. She would be like, well, that was an overshare. That was ah. an overshare. You just revealed something about someone you dated. Wow. A lot of rules. There are a lot of rules. I, I just
1: say, if you have no shame over it, or like you said, if you've processed it and it's your yeah. story to tell, then you tell it. And sometimes your actions do kind of filter out. It, it's a screening process. Not yeah. everyone is for everybody. Not everybody's going to like you, and that is okay. And if you sharing what you think is important and you feel called to say out loud turns some people off, that's okay because it's going to make other people even more interested in drawing close to you. And as far as the sexual assault goes, I think more and more that's becoming something that we're understanding as women all over the world. We should not carry that shame. That is not our shame. You did not do anything shameful by surviving. Correct. The shame belongs to the attacker. And so there shouldn't be anything you're not allowed to say about that experience because you didn't do anything wrong. And I think for too long, we put it all back on the person who survived the attack to follow all these rules about what they can say about what happened to them. You're under no obligation to shield anyone from feeling uncomfortable when you speak about it. It's a fact it happened. I just think it's, I feel so uncomfortable saying like, oh, it's hard for me to even hear something sometimes or listen to it because it's so heavy. When I think about if it's hard for me to hear it, how hard was it for that person to live through it? So I really try and I know we all have limits as far as how much emotional energy you have, but you have the ability to guard your energy in other areas. Yeah. It doesn't make sense for you to say, I'm not going to look at this, you know, crime against humanity that continues to happen again and again and again and again to our sisters all over the world because it makes me feel bad. Or do I want to look this pain in the face and see what we can do to deconstruct rape culture? Because that is absolutely a thing.
0: And that's part of, that's the final piece I think that matters. If you feel better for having told it, then it probably wasn't an overshare. Even if it's like, you need to ask yourself, what do I need to get out of this before it comes out of your mouth? And if it's the weight off your chest, like I felt in April, 2017, you know, that was transformative. I say, do it. But since then, it's it's not something I talk about on a daily basis. It's when I, I'm very careful about when I deploy the word as well as the story. And only because what purpose does it serve to dwell? I don't want that. I, there's no reason to have that story defining my present. It defines my outlook and under, underpins a lot of what I do. But it becomes oversharing or when you're trying to hijack a conversation, center a conversation around you with a story that silences other people. I I don't think it has less to do with the comfort level. It has to do with the purpose. So five years ago, if somebody was talking about, you know, I don't know, runner safety and I interjected, well, 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 I was raped. And as a result, this is what I did. So this is what I, it would have been, well, wait, thanks for oversharing. You know, so that Mm -hmm. detail that I added to give gravity to my words, what could have been, you know, well, thanks for oversharing would have been what dismissed everything that followed. So now This is where I talk about being shamed into silence. So still today, you're less likely to have that happen, but you still need to have a purpose and it needs to sort of fit in the context, Um, which is why I tell everyone to go to therapy. The more you talk in therapy, the more comfortable you are. I'm sure a lot of the things I say to others feel like TMI, but I am just that comfortable with my own body. My experience is now having spent so much time talking in therapy long before I had a platform to stand on. So, the spending of speaking of how much time we spent talking, you don't want to look at the clock, but <laughs> it's, it's normal, <laughs> as usual, it's like giddy up the the horses rode out the out the stable. I'm going to quickly move through the weekly wins from Runner Interrupted uh, before we move on to the questions, and there are a couple for you. Um, my win for the week is reaching out to family members just to talk. While the extension of the New York State stay-at-home orders to May 15th hit hard, recognizing the loneliness was feeling, and then reaching out was big for me. I'm used to being the, the one that helps others, so taking care of what I needed was exactly what the doctor ordered. Also, reconciling that things can suck. And recognizing uh, the privilege I have does not negate my feelings. Thank you very much. Uh, big, big hugs, Melissa. Uh, by the way, keep being UMK and showing how us, showing us how to be authentic and not just performing authentic. Thank you. Like that goes very nicely with the TMI question. Yeah, that's <laughs> if awesome. It feels authentic. It's probably not an overshare. Yeah. Um, Rebuild some wins. Katie Hansen, Dr. Hansen, has an amazing 75-minute run. It had been a really long time since she had run over an hour, and she was really happy with how good she felt. Uh, So uh, Katie's had a really, really rough uh, past couple of years. She had a rough rough delivery and then a few injuries after that. So for her, and plus, like she is a doctor in the time of COVID. So for her to have a good day, you deserve more than one good day. We wish she could give you nothing but the good days, but I'm thrilled to hear that you had a good run today. Jennifer Sutton also did a 75-minute run. Her longest since August 2019, and her longest pain-free run uh, since a really long time ago. Way to go, awesome Jennifer!
1: On the pain-free, that is tremendous.
0: Yeah, how many of those before you don't feel pain?
1: Um, actually, I feel I feel like if I'm in a, a bad place, I just need some water. So this is a sign that things are going well, even though I'm going back to work tomorrow. But you know, I've mm-hmm. got my. My strategy, I'm gonna take my measuring tape with me and mark how far is six feet from my desk. And if anyone tries to I'm gonna put I have neon green tape I'm taking with me. You need so a stick.
0: In- you need to go get one of those yardsticks. Oh, yes. Go get a yardstick from Home Depot and have like well, I a I have a yardstick, it. but it's only three feet.
1: You know, it's usually just three feet on a yardstick. Oh, never mind. A yardstick is a yard. So yeah, it's not six. <laughs> it's like, oh, the wheels are turning kind of slow. But yes. You're drinking. Uh, I, mean, I get devil. it, girl. I get it. <laughs> but I you're like, right.
0: I could like somehow. really obnoxious.
1: Yeah. I could tape that to my desk because I know my desk is probably already keeping, you know, a distance of three feet between me and the person speaking to me. So if I tape the yardstick to the desk, mm-hmm. oh my goodness, that would give me so much, such a kick. I, I'll probably do that. I have a yardstick.
0: Do that, make it's them really uncomfortable, go. TMI, and maybe they'll let you work from home. That is my stri- like So that's, there's another way to TMI. If I really don't want people to talk to me, I say the first thing that I think will make them not want to talk to me anymore, <laughs> which is the thing that makes them the most uncomfortable.
1: We'll see. I don't know. I think they're pretty eager to have some extra helping hands in the flesh. So I I don't know if I could scare them away. My office is very transparent. They're all very Southern. So oversharing, I thought was like almost a rule in some areas in the South. Like don't strangers tell you deeply personal things while you're like standing in line?
0: I mean, I get that everywhere I go. And it's funny for my, my husband's just like, what is happening? I'm like, like Why know. are people just telling that. you this? Yeah, People just tell me things. I don't know. Mm. But I feel, but even still with that in the South, I found ways to shut. I, you know, just talking about, so there's, do you, I'm just curious, have you heard about itchy little bumps coming with COVID? No. Like on my, on your privates? Cause I've had, <gasps> have I had that happen to you? <laughs> no, that, that, I mean, no, that's not actually happened to me, but I'm saying like, that's exactly. That
1: would be, that would help. That would help.
0: I need to go to the bathroom. Sorry. I'll be right back. Or, Oh, so my, I think that's my phone Just find the most uncomfortable thing that they would not want to respond to.
1: And see if that'll make them. Yeah. Take off.
0: Don't I'm, offend them. Don't yeah. offend them. You got to make them scared of you. Like I just I'm want scared what everybody to be
1: say. able to visualize what is six feet. And please let's distance ourselves. Yes. Yeah.
0: And if they really want to know why. Yeah. <laughs> they don't ask twice. <laughs>
1: I'm going to take the, I'm going to keep this all in mind and I will report back on Tuesday.
0: Please do. I can't wait to hear about it. Everybody's going to be excited to hear it too. oh man so it's the third weekly win and rebuild Kristen Fraser is seeing her pace improve and feel less difficult we are very hopeful that next uh, on Tuesday we'll be able to add some more wins uh, including the distance that Dahlia needs to get uh, her work done on Monday maintain some more wins Nicole Wood was supposed to run the Star Wars 5k with her daughter I love this but instead she surprised her daughter with a virtual race complete with starting fireworks um, oh. we have a video of that I think we're going to be sharing too later uh, finish line photo ops Star Wars music and a runner snack box how cool that's awesome that's
1: a good mom that's really
0: fun man my kids deserve a mom like you that's that's really cool (laughs) wow karen Schluter ran a virtual 10k way to go karen amy wilson notched another virtual race challenge 20 miles in 24 hours she ran 4.1 miles 13.1 miles and 3.1 miles a lot of these challenges just for context dahlia is you have to Every five hours or every four hours, something you have to complete a specified loop in a specified way and upload it to Strava. You have to be a member of their club so they can see what you did. So running like every five hours over a 24 hour period or every six hours over a 24 hour period is how a lot of these are done. So instead of like, you know, I'm running a marathon all at once. It's worse. Yeah. You run it in, in little fits and spurts all day long. So props to everyone who does all that stuff. So. Rebuild here. Now we're moving on to the questions and just to refresh you to the questions from our runners and our programs. Rebuild is a program for runners that are trying to rebuild their running bodies after injury or a long period, extended period away, or anyone who wants to rebuild the running habit or the fitness habit, the crux of rebuild and what separates it from build, which is going to launch on May the 1st. They are basically the same program, but two separate communities. One, we treat been build. We're going to treat uh, these are, this is a community for new runners. Um, and you will be treated like a new runner. if you do not want to be treated like a new runner, if you feel like you've been here before and you just need to, you're restarting. Then Rebuild is the program for you. We're not going to treat you like a new person. Uh, we will explain things as we go. We will answer questions, but there's a certain base of knowledge that and muscle memory as well that we assume that you have. So the trajectory and the progression will look a little bit different. When you uh, so, say
1: new, is that like never ran a race before? Couch to five k, never done that. Like nothing. It's um, okay for someone who's totally new.
0: Let's say that you've been running for a while, and maybe you've trained for a half, but you don't feel like a runner and you don't really know what you're doing. You just know you did this one thing one time. Gosh. I would not stop you from jumping in to build. It's how you feel. I know that when, um, when I've been coming back into fitness after having babies, for example, the only option around was like a couch to 5k program. And I'm not a good fit for that because my experience, my, and my knowledge, I just, I didn't belong in that group. I was a butthead. I didn't belong there. I was impatient yeah. with a lot of the way things were presented or explained. And, you know, it's not my room to lead so something like rebuild would have been appropriate for me where i could either hide as i came back in and not dilute the experience for brand new runners who are really excited to have this brand new habit and this brand new hobby as opposed to me who was really not excited to be have to be rebuilding fitness after having just had a baby okay. or having been injured for the past two years so there it's just a, it's the same programming different mindset different presentation one is catered to people who are like you know again feel new and are willing to just sort of absorb versus people who you know been here before you don't know how to define the term but it's um it's it's more of a it's more your own state of mind i'm not going to stop anyone from getting into the program plus if you join build and you feel like rebuild is really where you belong cool we'll put you in, we'll just it's easiest two clicks to move you over as a subscriber to fitness protection you'll have that in your control too so thank you for being so honest about your anxiety and medication. Oh, that's me. I think I didn't think mine was bad enough to warrant drug treatment, but I caved and asked my PCP for help. And it has made a huge difference. I did not realize that how I had been feeling for so long was not normal. That's cool. Yeah, that's and awesome. I, yay. I'm like, Jesus loves me. This I know for he gave me Lexapro. Yeah <laughs> that.
1: I don't think I've heard that before. Or did I say that the last time I heard that? I don't know.
0: I, last time. I saw it from Glennon Doyle. She's, that's one of her favorites on Instagram. But yeah, it's when, it's one thing to know when, um, we like to think of it, if there's, if there's basis, if it's real, there's a reason to be anxious, then you are not mentally You know, you're not mentally ill because you're not making it up as though the only way a person can be mentally ill is if it's all made up and in their heads and the way, which is gross. The way we talk about it and present it is really gross. I do a lot of emotional labor. I'm when my husband travels for work. It's not the same as being a single parent, but I am the only caregiver in the house most of the week, not now. Yay. With him home all the time. It's kind of great. Him not traveling. It's just like, wow, this is luxurious. Another adult. It's amazing. Um, But yeah, there was, there was, and plus what I do, because I say, we're never talking about the running people are putting their anxieties, their hopes and pinning it onto this hobby. So for those, ever since I became a coach, I was doing a lot of emotional labor for others And things that were not about the running. As soon as I realized that we weren't talking about the running, I knew that I needed to get into therapy and make sure that I had. I mean, I was already in therapy, but I knew I needed to increase what I was doing to make sure that I stayed in a good place so that I could support all the people that were leaning on me. And there have been times like now when drugs have been the thing that I've needed to keep standing. And I do. And it's great. And I'm not ashamed yeah. of it, I don't think anybody else should be either. The problem is not you. no one is looks at the load that you're carrying, but your therapist will they're your advocate. please. If you have access to therapy, get in therapy. It does not hurt at all, although you know I, I like to think of it as ugly work when you're really reflecting on yourself and your responses to things. That's a very humbling experience. that's why I call it the ugly work. It's not pretty at all, but it is freeing in a really cool way, so it's I'm glad to,
1: to feel to feel better and yeah. then to realize like, oh, is this how some people feel when they All encounter the stressful situations? So sometimes it really is it's just physiological. Your reactions to things are, you know, just yeah. kind of woo over the <laughs> over the top and it really drains you.
0: Yeah. Yeah. And because we don't because we don't talk about it in terms that are very realistic, it's hard to articulate what it looks like for and so then another person recognizes it in their own experience. So question two, or rather question one, since last wasn't, was not a comment, not a question. Please explain the lanes of rebuild and maintain. I'm still confused. I feel you. There are not lanes in maintain. There are lanes in rebuild. When it comes to rebuild, I knew that we would have a lot of people that are rebuilding for a lot of different reasons. We have right now in that room, we have people who are pregnant. We have people who are recovering from pregnancy. We have people who are at different stages of cancer treatment. We have people who are coming back having just finished chemo and radiation. We have people for whom life has grabbed them by the face and it's not let go, either because IEP season or their healthcare providers that are serving on the front lines of COVID. Um, We have a lot of folks in that room for a lot of different reasons. And I wanted to make sure that they had the options that they needed. The first question people tend to ask me When going into rebuild, which is fun, again, that fundamental difference. There's a certain sort of person who loves that rebuild exists and they're very happy there. But there's another type who resents being there. That would have been me when I, when I got started. You know, I don't want to be here. I want to be maintained. I'm a runner. I want to get, I want to get through this rebuilding stuff to get back there. The sort of person who would want to speed through that process. So I wanted to have a mechanism that would provide a framework that people could adjust the workload to where they need to be. So lane one is less work than lane two. That's generally how I, I look at it. I ask everyone, if you've been away for a while, if you've been, uh, if you're coming back after a period of six months or longer, and just give me one solid month in lane one, it's not going to feel like a lot of work. And that's intentional. There is not a big difference between um, week one of lane one and week four of lane one, there's not a huge difference between week one of lane two and week four of lane two. There's not a big difference. Finally, this is point three. There's not a big difference between lane week four of lane two of rebuild and week one of maintain. But there's a gigantic difference, gigantic difference between uh, week four, lane two of rebuild and week four of maintain. So the progression, the bare minimum, I would ask of anyone, if you are coming into this for the first time, give me bare minimum, don't rush through it, one month of lane one of rebuild. If you are at the end of that month, if you are not overtrained and you're not over hungry and you're not overtired and you are ready for more work, then give me one complete month in lane two of rebuild. Some people will want two to three months in lane two before being ready to migrate into maintain. And when they do, I strongly advise that that first month, uh, the fi- like to ease yourself in to do week one of maintain over and over throughout the month. Um, because again, the, the difference between week one and week four of maintain is pretty big. So if you're coming out of a marathon cycle or out of a half marathon training cycle, you're going to have no trouble after a couple of weeks off, just jumping right into maintain and doing it as written. A person coming over from rebuild needs to ease in. And that's the way that I would recommend it. So the difference between the lanes, it's generally just, do you want more work? Okay, then here's lane two. You want more work? It's maintain. Okay, that's too much work. We back down the lane too. And if it's too much work, that's not a judgment of you or your fitness, it can be a a function of your life. Again, like the doctors that we have, that healthcare professionals and the nurses who have been like, oh, I can't, I feel bad if I can't do everything as written and maintained. Mentally, those green boxes kind of are the boss of me. I need to feel like I'm succeeding at something. So I'm going to go to lane two of rebuild for this month, get nothing but green boxes, knock it out of the park and feel good about it rather than see all the red and orange boxes and maintain. And I get that. So find what motivates you and tailor this program to you. I want to give you all the options. You know, I don't look at training peaks to see the colors of the boxes. I turn that option off. And a lot of the times I just do whatever I can and I'm happy with it. But most people that gravitate towards distance running do not look at themselves or their work in that way so let's find what motivates you the most and stick to it but broadly and generally speaking that is the crux of the lane system is that we can adjust and adapt your workload to where you are at any point in time without needing to totally change programs and totally change communities the lane uh, the lane progression tends to work so hopefully that clears it up. If not, go to the membership area of the page, click on the rebuild button and watch the first two videos. I talk through high level programming and then I talk through the lane structure again. Um, that's what the videos are there for, which is not shade. I don't watch a lot of videos either, but um, if you do have time, it just makes me feel good to know because if I had a hair dryer back then, I look pretty good in that video. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, final question, I think. I've always been an after work runner, but as my baby has turned into a toddler, it's getting harder and harder to get decent runs with her. So I've accepted the fact that in order to get the running I want done, I'm going to need to get up early and run before everyone else wakes up. My question is, how do I convince the part of my brain that wants to stay warm, comfy, and safe to get out of bed? I battle with it every time. And more often than not, that part of my brain wins. Oh, the fact that running in the early morning scares me is also part of the argument that the comfy part of my brain uses too. So for me, I am very much a morning. Per- well, up until the past two years, I've been a morning person my entire life. I'm that annoying person that's wide awake and like, "Hi, it's the day. The day's here. I get to see sunrise at five fifteen, and that's before that's like while I'm making the coffee, I'm worse after the coffee. So, getting up and running for me has never been a problem. And I'll be the first to tell you that I'm an anomaly. Most people are like you and me. The past year and a half, I'm like that too. The way that I have done it personally is because childcare in my world, again, before lately, I, has been such a scarce resource. You go now or you don't go. Or we were paying a sitter and to get the sitter to come that time in the morning, it was like, even though the kids aren't awake, it's like $18 an hour. So I'm like, Once I put the dollar value to it, I am out the door getting my $18 worth of running done because every minute I'm not ready to go, I'm wasting my own money. And that's not something I can cope with. So not that I would want everyone to have that high stakes, but also if that's the trick I need to get me out of bed and get my run done because I know I feel better after the run. I'm not shaming myself into it. It was putting the structure there to make sure that I get enough sleep the night before and, 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 and. It's never just one running. We talk about running as though it's one... One habit, you have it or you don't kind of like earrings. They're on or they're off. It's binary. It's, it's not exactly true. There are a lot of little supporting habits that have to come into play to support the bigger running habit. And that for me is laying my clothes out the night before in the bathroom. So that when I wake up to go, um, you know, the first thing most people do, maybe this is TMI because he wants to think about that. I, you know, you pee and I see my, my running clothes right there in front of the toilet and I, I put them on to walk out of the bathroom. So it's right there, including my running shoes. And I go, um, two is to make sure like, why is it, And I'm, this is where nutrition is probably going to come into play, Dahlia. So if, if you're having trouble getting up in the morning There are a couple of reasons, could be why. One of them might be worth exploring with the therapist, just saying that can be it can be seasonal type of uh, depression. It could be anxiety of what's going on right now. It could be uh, hormonal changes. And you'd be surprised how helpful something like Lexapro, which literally calms your central nervous system. Once that is reduced, everything else can fall into place and it's a lot easier to get out of bed in the morning. So that could be a part of it. But more than anything, what's going to impact your ability to wake up and run. You might not ever be the sort of person who can just wake up and run out the door, or get excited to watch the sunrise, and you know, think nothing of getting up at three thirty to get your entire run done before you know anybody else in the house wakes up. So, my suggestion to you is make sure that number one, you're nourishing yourself, that you are having downtime, because that pressure to fall asleep it turns into pressure to get up and pressure to get out the door. All of that pressure is going to compound what you're feeling right now. It's it's not going to alleviate it.
1: Yeah. And I would assume that if you have a toddler, you might be sleep deprived. So when you have slept enough, it, it shouldn't be a struggle to get out of bed. I know the warm bed feels good, but when you, as a childless, it
0: feels better.
1: You know, that's <laughs> true. That's well, I'm sure that's true. I'm spoiled and that I get to sleep all the time until I'm absolutely done with sleep. Like just, When you're done, it's not difficult to get out of the warm bed. You're just, you're done. So I would see if there's any way you could get more sleep and that may not be a possibility. And then you might want to question whether or not sleep is more of a concern for you right now than you realize, you know, like what if you need that extra sleep? Is that possible? And if, what if you can only get it by staying in bed a little longer? Um, I don't know how well it works to strap the toddler into one of those running joggers. Is that not possible? Toddlers don't give them those things, do they?
0: Mine never did. My, okay. my, one of my children had sensory processing pro- um, and the the pressure. I couldn't even get them in a car seat. Okay. It was people were always like, you need to get out more. And I'm like, right. thanks like yeah, you know, so it's she, better if you could leave the house i'm like you think i think so. <laughs> yeah, chances are,
1: she's probably already visited this idea there might oh, be a no, no, i'm sorry work. i wasn't
0: trying to shade you i'm just saying that like it's the jogging stroller is a lot of people it's think for babies that that the, the jogging stroller is a solution or a stroller mobility is the solution and it's like mobility is the problem
1: okay gotcha gotcha yeah, yeah. I I like all of your ideas about having everything else done, all the other cues done. And I've known people who slept in their running clothes, but yep. if they're too constricting, maybe that's not comfortable
0: either, but people do it. I've done it. I've done it when I know it's going to be hard to get out of bed the next day. I wake up with my, I go to bed with my running clothes on, but. With
1: your sneakers on the side, right, of the bed, yep. on the yep. floor
0: pretty much so you can yeah. roll
1: out and get moving
0: because mm-hmm. it's like if I don't go now my window I've got one window and it is about to close go yeah now hopefully or never
1: after you do it later on in the day you can trick your toddler into taking a nap with you and <laughs> uh, maybe that'd work and just giving yourself that knowing that you get to take a nap later on during the day
0: is there a nutritional component to that as well? The way, like having trouble getting out of bed. I've always, I have, there are some cues that um as as a lifelong runner, I've heard over time from nutritionists that I trust. Uh One, that the dead legs feeling is a pretty sure sign you didn't have enough protein the day before, which explains mm. how I felt like on my run today. I'm like, I didn't, it's been about 48 hours since I had protein. So that would make sense. And that it's, again, it's not about perfection. It's just sort of like, oh, I, I felt this. Yeah. The answer is this, if that makes sense. So what if I'm having trouble getting out of bed nutritionally? Is there a component like deadlakes to protein?
1: I would say it could be that you're skimping on carbs and maybe you just, you feel sluggish. You're not fueling yourself. Or it could be that you're riding a energy roller coaster pushed along by caffeine and then a downer in the evening. So depending on, even though it's awfully close to bedtime and I'm drinking a glass of wine, I have cut back majorly on my caffeine. So I'm not trying to come down in the evening. A lot of us will try and force ourselves down, relaxing with alcohol, but then that messes with your sleep quality and you don't feel as well rested in the morning. Yeah. So it could be that could be a factor and just under eating in general could be yeah. a factor.
0: That is definitely, and that tends to come along with anxiety and depression. Um, a lot of postpartum depression, uh, for sure. Like Not saying specifically this, but when a person is depressed, they might not be cognizant of the frequency of their meals or how infrequent in actuality their meals are becoming. Sort of like older people um, like in nursing homes who are depressed and just... You know don't eat barely eat enough to keep a bird alive um there's something to that as well, and that in even accidental deprivation of carbs and protein has an impact on your brain and your sleep cycles and your hormonal regulation
1: yeah, so. definitely, definitely, and skimping on the fat doesn't do your hormones any favors either that's for sure so i I would look at all of that, but i I honestly feel like so many times sleep is the issue. And depending on when that little person sleeps, I don't know how easy it'll be to get more of it.
0: Yeah. Yeah. I know sleep when the baby sleeps sounds very trite because that's like usually our only childless time and we want to use it to decompress or get more work done or do the thing that has been sitting, you know, that's been festering. Oh, now I can finally, like it's it's that moment of freedom. So maybe if you can structure a couple more of those in the day and you'll feel less rushed and anxious, not to say it'll solve all of it. Um, but if there's a way that maybe you could, you could work that out with your partner specified times that are off for you, even if they're not the most opportune, that could go a long way towards, you know, helping you helping all this sort of like settle down.
1: And she mentioned that running in the morning can be scary. Now, if it really is, if safety really... Well, honestly, for all women, every time you go outside, safety is probably a concern. I wonder if you could find a running buddy who would add a little bit of a commitment there knowing that somebody's waiting for you that could make you feel more safe and then make you feel more (laughs) locked in to that commitment you've made to go running.
0: That's never... Not going to lie. Like I have a, a running buddy who is wonderful, who will meet me at any time in the morning. And there have been times, I mean, I hesitate to pull the button because I know this person won't say no. And it's like a 20 minute drive for him. But in those oh. morning mornings when I really need it, I'm like, I'm not going to do this if you're not waiting for me. So yeah, even I have to do it. So if I have to do it, there's nothing wrong with you doing it too. It's actually a really good tip. Um, Moving on to the questions and Maintain. Maintain is the program for runners who have a modicum of fitness that they would like to maintain and maybe parlay into a race, but we've most of the people in Maintain have no intention of racing, period. They just want to do exactly this, get a brand new plan every month, um, and put the running itself on autopilot. And that's, we give you all kinds of options in Maintain. Uh, you never have to do anything at all. We're just happy you show up. Yay. It's a promise that we show up. It's never a mandate that you need to. Uh, Loved your tips in quarantine on solving dry hands. How did you learn these tricks? Um, I did. So I did a stream on skincare because I was getting a lot of questions from HTPs so that the dry hands one specifically i learned from a friend whose um, mother, uh, Died of cancer. And in her final months, she was living um, in our apartment, in his part of the apartment. And her hands were peeling from, I think it was, I, I'm going to get it wrong, from the radiation. I think you have chemo first and then the radiation. Um, and the radiation just destroyed her skin. So... He was always coming home with all of these fancy, um, really expensive, cause we lived on the upper east side, really, really expensive, like La Mer hand creams and things that brands that I'd never heard of. And seeing what finally the combination that sort of really worked for her, um, was where I realized that it, it had less to do with the cream itself that you use and more to do with how you wash your hands and where, I, when I started using oil. Uh, to do that. I did not start using oil uh, to wash my my face or bare other parts of my body until last summer when, and I've told that story multiple times about when I, you know, coming home from surgery, fell face to first down the rabbit hole of YouTube and skin influencers while high as a kite recovering from surgery with all my family still on vacation. So five days of, of that, I was like, oh, double cleanse changed my life. Um, but it, the, the, if any part of my skin is better, uh, better moisturized, my hands were there first Um, all because of that. So yeah, not, not a real happy story, but, um, I learned everything I know about hand moisturizing my hands. I learned from someone with cancer, but for coach Dahlia, next question. I'm safer at home, but not getting as many fresh veggies as my body is accustomed to eating. We are grocery shopping every other week. My gut is complaining, swinging between constipation and diarrhea, TMI, but I guess you need to know we're doing frozen vegetables when we are out of fresh. Any suggestions on how to keep my toileting more regular and comfortable?
1: Maybe because she didn't mention whether or not she was getting whole grains or fiber in other areas, like trying to keep the fiber high all over the place. So like lots of um, whole grain breads or brown rice or really looking at, are you eating more dairy than before? Could there be something that you've added That you're eating that's contributing to the constipation. Mm -hmm. And I know not everybody likes prunes, but think of those. They work. They work. So there's a reason why people like to have cooked prunes with their oatmeal, especially older people. It's a natural part of aging for the motility to slow down. So your food, it takes longer to make its way through the system and it can cause constipation. So just think about like, Hmm, what would grandma be eating if she was like backed up? And that's probably what you want to eat. And you can order Metamucil. I know we probably all feel like we're too young and too cool to eat Metamucil. No, I love it, But it works. Yeah, it's something to think about. And then you can have that with water. You know, if you drink it fast enough, if you put it in a smoothie you can create like a serious fiber bomb. So with your frozen vegetables, I make green smoothies from frozen veggies too sometimes. Honestly, I have a hydroponic little garden thing. So I've still been eating (laughs) fresh leafy greens. And I just ordered some, you said the chick, the baby chicks, sold out. Plants have sold out too. I tried to order some of those little Bonnie plants all done. gone so i have to wait i have to get seeds that i bought some little dwarf cherry tomatoes because if you get regular tomatoes in your little arrow garden or miracle grow 2012 thing it's not gonna work because it will grow like into the light and it won't work but the little cherry tomatoes that are bred to be short you know they can actually stay under the light so i had to buy some seeds for that today. So I'm going to get those tomatoes. I I can't do without them. But I understand like if you're just working with the frozen, you can still put frozen kale in a smoothie. You can have your frozen kale, your frozen fruit, and have those green smoothies so that you're really introducing that fiber all the time.
0: One of my favorite stories... I told this once a long time ago on a podcast, but if y'all remember the poop snake funeral, um, this is when I was in the throes of training for uh, Philadelphia and I was doing all of the things because this is, Right before I became a public figure, but people are watching me and I'm aware of it and I feeling pressure that I've never felt before. So I'm like towing the line. I was working closely with a nutritionist and, um, I was, I was so the things I was doing, I was taking supplements, different types of the day, BCAAs in the afternoon, make sure I was getting the protein. I was uh, having a lot of beet juice first thing in the morning, like mm-hmm. before a workout and after a workout. Um, and I was having flaxseed in Pretty much everything throughout the day. So I would have my run. I would then have my concoction, which was like all the supplementations that I need to take, and and then take my shower after the shower. Protein bomb. After that, like take the kids to school. Then breakfast. It was a lot. So this one we had just gotten a brand new Mo Williams book. I don't even remember which one it was. I was just horrified that I had to do this. But I'm in the bathroom. My my bowels have never been more regular, clear, or amazing. But I ate my the, all my kids. And at the time I only had three, Um, they all are like, mom, mom, read this book. So they're like trying to get in my lap while I'm pooping and, and putting this book in my face. And I'm just like, guys, ah, and I, so I read the book. It was horrible. And, and I, then, then I finish and I I stand up and my, my kid looks in the toilet and screams and she's like, mommy, there's a snake. Ah! And I'm like, no, (laughs) no, no, there's no. There's no, that's not a snake. And she's like, but mom, <laughs> it's, it can, it's, it's bleeding. It is definitely a snake. That's from the beaches. Oh, so always. it was like one yeah. continuous loop with, yeah. It Hilarious was
1: Hilarious that she even looked in there.
0: And so she was so horrified that we had killed an animal in our toilet that we had to have a funeral for it oh my goodness and this is the one day where you telling us the story your husband had never been late to work in 27 years or something or something ridiculous yeah. like that i have never been late to drop my children at school but one day one day and that was the poop snake funeral day and i, oh as I dropped them off i always had them there at like by 8 30 at the latest i'm dropping them off at like 9 45 and like the is waiting there she's like are you okay i was like you just you wouldn't believe me if i told you
1: so she didn't believe you when you told her that's not a snake. She's like, no,
0: I know it I is because it's bleeding. I know it's a snake because it's bleeding. Whoa. So her, I couldn't prove that it wasn't a snake. So then I had to prove that the snake was dead. And once I proved the snake was dead, because she was really worried about that, then we had to have a funeral for it. <laughs> oh, my goodness.
1: Well, that's a good. <laughs> all of those. It's so interesting. All the things that keep you regular, it's movement, it's hydration, and it's fiber. So if you're moving less too, that could be an issue. Could that be constipating you? Are you hydrating less because you're not moving around as much? You're stuck at the computer all day teleworking. Make sure that the movement and the hydration hasn't changed. And then Try some oatmeal, incorporate oatmeal, and you can put your flaxseed on it. And then look too at, what was my other thing that I feel like is such a fiber bomb? If I remember, I'll say it later. I I completely lost it, but go for the oatmeal, seriously.
0: And oranges, oranges and little clementines. If you eat, like, obviously not the rind, but there, there's a lot, there's more fiber than you would think in oranges. So yeah, that's yeah, And
1: eat the peels of things. You know, so if you got organic, I know that sounds so hoity-toity, but um, let's just, we're not going to talk about organic or conventional, but eating the peel uh, a lot of times is mm-hmm. really going to help you go number two. Wow.
0: Okay. Don't peel your blueberries. You heard it here first. <laughs> Oh man. Hey, Coach MK and Coach Dahlia. Thank you for all the support through all of this. It The great videos, funny quips, etc. It's been amazing. I do have a quick question I maintain for today's long run. Um, it's Saturday that I'm writing this. I felt like cutting loose a little bit. So I went a little bit faster. To be honest, I just want to relax and chill and not keep watching my heart rate. Nothing crazy, but the heart rate was around 160 for the whole run. Am I doing any damage there? No. I didn't feel like I was stressing my body out. Good. In fact, it felt quite comfortable. It actually felt more comfortable than at 140, which I always find is a little struggle for me. So the 140 rule, I'm not saying throw it out the window, but right now we are at a point where we are collectively experiencing trauma as a society together. Now, I know that's a lot of big words, but what that means is there, it's gonna be so hard to pull your brain out of like fight or flight mode. You're all, your central nervous system is already so Bombarded by the time you get out of bed with things to do and worry about that are all happening under your roof, and your usual escape hatches do not exist. So, the pressure is there and it is real. So, to and because and no one knows how to deal with it. So, maybe you have a boss or a company that doesn't understand that we're in a global pandemic and still expect you to work from home the way you normally would without children there. Yay, you. So if that is, re- that's, that's there and that's real, it's not odd to find that maybe your resting heart rate is 10 to 15 beats higher than it's normally been, especially if you're not sleeping well and you're not really caring for yourself and you're eating, you know, cupcakes uh, as a, as, you know, comfort food instead of actually, you know, nourishing yourself. Again, none of these are bad choices. I'm proud of you and I see you, but just understand that all of that is going to add up. So a day like today, are you doing damage? Absolutely not. Where the damage comes in is if you never pay attention to your effort and you're in a training cycle and the way you're looking at it is I want to get faster. Therefore, I'm not afraid to work harder. That is what's going to do you in. A day like I just want to run and not think that is not going to hurt. What's going to hurt is if you wake up the next day and say that felt fine. I'm never going to do 140 again. I'm going to do whatever I want. Then you're going to end up right back where you started. So even like me, I did a Pokemon ball run the other day and I might have gotten four and a half miles in two hours. But the four and a half miles, if you look at it on Strava, the four and a half miles that I ran look really, really fast. But my average heart rate was something like 142 because I was stopping to battle. I had to, uh, RJ wanted this really rare Pokemon and I had to, you know, I would do anything for that boy and he doesn't ask me for very much at all. So I had to go battle in five different gyms to find the stupid Anyway, I spent way too much time trying to do this. I was up for two hours and ran four and a half miles really quickly, which tells you how much battling I was doing and how many stops I had. So, and do, I don't feel bad about that. I did not do the math to keep my average heart rate low. That's exactly what I don't want you guys doing. If anything, the only part I felt a little guilty of was walking through the door and my, you know, everybody's like, where have you been? And I'm like, yeah, sorry. It was two hours. <laughs> I'd expect to be, did not expect to be gone that long, but I got him what he wanted. So yay me. All that, I tell you that to tell you this, do what you need to do to get through. But if the only thing that's making you feel better is running so hard that your brain shuts down and you can't think, be aware of that. To do it once in a while, I don't care, but it's going to catch up to you. It's going to catch up to your knees and your hips and your joints. And we don't want that. Once in a while, doing whatever you want is fine. Two or three times a week. As long as you are kind of dialing into your body and not trying to zone out of your body signals, then it's fine. I would just be very cautious about it. And that's how it's been real frustrating for me lately because my, um, my garment, my polar, sorry, has been acting like a garment and picking up cadence instead of heart rate. So as a backstop, I have power. Um, so on some days I'll look down and I'll see, it says my heart rate's at 166. I know it's not at 166. because I wouldn't be able to talk at 166. I So I use power as a backstop on those days. Maybe if this is happening more frequently than you care to admit, it would be worth, looking at stride and adding that backstop of saying, you know what, my heart rate's all the way up here, but stride says I'm only in zone one, which is right where I need to be. So I'm going to go with it. That's okay too. That would make me feel more comfortable if this is more than just a one-off thing. And I'll, I'll, I'll stop there because I could talk about this all day. Um, on maintain. I feel like I can go out and run a half marathon pretty much every week at this point. However, I guess unrelated to my above question, that's about all I can do. If you ask me to push that out to about three hours, I don't think my body can manage it. Is there another level of progression I should be looking for and maintain if I want to get to the marathon level over the summer to the fall? So the way again that I would look at this, there's a hormonal component that's really hard to pin down. If you've heard me talk about my training back into when I was coming back for the baby from the baby, sorry. Um, up until I, do, I chose to defer the New York City marathon in 2018, deferred to 2019. That was really hard for me to do. It hurt my feelings. It hurt my ego. It, it just, it, it broke, it broke my soul. But the reason I was doing that was that like, because I had not had a single good long run. Every time I hit the 80 minute mark, I was done. My legs would not turn over. I had to walk. It wasn't just my mind, but my body was like, it felt like hitting a wall. And I know that some people are familiar with that, but generally speaking, hitting the wall for the recreational runner means that you didn't run the smartest race. Nine times out of 10. Well, it means that um, it doesn't necessarily mean that something went wrong. More often than not, when I get a client and they talk about like, I the past three marathons have been fine until mile 20. I'm like, well, we need to adjust. What we need to adjust is like, you're overtrained. We need to, to slow down your easy effort runs. We need to change your race day strategy and everything's going to be fine. And then it is, and they don't hit the wall anymore because they're using less glycogen on their training and on race day. When this is happening outside of a training cycle, The first place I look to is sleep. The second thing that I look to is, again, the overstimulation of the central nervous system. Is there some anxiety or depression going on? I like to think of it as white noise because it's easy to eliminate that type of white noise. It doesn't mean that whatever is causing the anxiety is categorically going to go away. But something like, Therapy and Lexapro can build your resilience so that your your body is more under control and then your muscles are more able to respond. I know until I started taking Lexapro, my muscles were not responding the way that they had been in 2016, 2017. And that is something I had been craving for the longest time. When is running going to feel not just not painful, but good again. And it finally, finally does six weeks after, not even six weeks. I think it was like two weeks after I started 10 milligrams of Lexpro a day. That was how quickly I got sensation back in my muscles. So I tell you all that to tell you this, it's probably not a training question. It is probably not more long runs, more hard work. The answer is probably less stimulation somewhere else. And. Possibly more sleep, and again, I know that sounds really basic. And it's not just because I started taking Lexapro that I think everyone needs to. I think everyone needs to con- need to be cognizant of how much strain and stress our minds and bodies are already under. Your body does not differentiate between uh, a stress and u stress, like positive stress and negative stress. It is one and the same. It just presents differently. In the way a person behaves. So whether you are really excited because the toddler finally went to sleep or really exhausted from having run too hard, your body doesn't recognize the difference. So in a time like this, when we are all, you know, susceptible to the collective trauma of the pandemic situation, I'm not going to tell you what, what to feel or how to deal, but I would be very conscious of, you know, half marathon distance. If there's something physiological that's kind of stopping it then the answer in all likelihood is not to change the training approach. So, yeah. If you- oh, and that's
1: a good, um, I was just going to say this question is a good thing to take to your physician. Mm-hmm. A lot of times when we feel like we're fine overall, when we go for our checkups, we don't point stuff like this out, yeah. but this may be something that they can pinpoint fairly quickly what the issue might be.
0: Yeah. Absolutely. Because I know the answer for me was not like, I can't run more than 80 minutes. What do I do? And my coach was like, we sit this one out. And that was the worst thing in the Mm -hmm. world. It's a conversation to have, but that was, it was honestly very true. So again, not to say that that is specifically what's happening with you, but I think the question would be like, if that's all you can do, Let's think about what that means, that if anything I said resonates, uh, next step is your PCP, your primary care provider. You don't need to go directly to a therapist or a psychiatrist in order to get a med- medication like this prescribed. Um, most primary care physicians can and will gladly. Do so. And they're not, you don't have to worry about overdose. Things like LexPro are not the things that when you hear some of the shaming talk in the media, like all oh, these drugs are just handed out like candy. They are not talking about anti-anxiety meds. So if there's any part of you that doesn't want to like go there, they ain't talking to you or about you. They're talking about opioids and you aren't going to, you aren't going to get those. Don't ask. I couldn't even get them after I had a baby. Um, not that I necessarily wanted, but they were like, do you really need them? Like, of course I need some painkillers. What's wrong with you? <laughs> oh. Oh, can I why can I take a upper girl home with me? Why don't we sell kiss on Amazon? Oh my like, God. It's all to Valentine's well, people Day. People are like, really
1: they're finally tightening it up on writing those um scripts like willy-nilly. So Yes. yeah, I don't think anyone's just giving them out for no reason at the moment. No. so anyway, no Ask
0: anyone with ADHD, like if, if we think that there's an over prescription problem with our drugs like you have no idea how hard it is I still hold my breath like am I gonna get you know this month because at any point they could be like no or I'm not gonna treat you anymore or I'm closing my practice and then you've got to go find a new provider and that can take months and then you got a lot of people are heroes and don't you never know what you're getting until you start so it's a very hold your breath type of scenario if it was easy to get we wouldn't be as nervous about it as we are so I tell you all that to tell you this if you can get it from your PCP, why wouldn't you? I wish I could get more things from my PCP. <clears throat> oh, well. But yeah, that's where I would start. It's probably, it's probably not the training, but come back and answer that. Let's have a little, let's have more of a conversation about it. And then from there, I can prescribe. But you really, realistically, if you're able to do this, okay. I need to know more about that. Uh, what that's all I can do before I tell you what we need to do to make that integration into that, that the transition into the 10 week marathon ramp seamless and and make it feel good um okay uh, two more to go hang on hang in there i made a less than ideal choice regarding the number of glasses of wine one night and then i didn't run the next morning but i wanted to run is it safe to run when hungover um do you want to you want to grab that dahlia well
1: even though it's in um your intro to the showing up to the corral with a hangover like it really depends how dehydrated are you? So that would be a factor. And if it's going to feel like punishment, once you get out there, I wouldn't do it because especially if you're possibly going to vomit again, well, well, I'm saying again, I don't know that you vomited in the first place, but if there's any possibility that once you get out there and you start moving and exerting yourself, that you're going to vomit and become further dehydrated, It's not worth it. It's a day to rest and to think about how you want to enjoy your wine next time you decide to have some and really think about how much of a role alcohol can play in the life of someone who is very active. And the recommendation for women is really to have just a, like a restaurant style serving of wine, which is just like barely three, which is half of the glass. Like who does that at home? At home, you know, you put it up to here, you know, you do. And that's more than the recommendation. So if you had five of the I'm at home servings, then that means you had 10 of the daily recommended servings for women. I didn't know what you did. I am just saying, just remember that the portion size that we think is normal is not what the CDC has said we can have.
0: <laughs> I had to so, do a couple of screenshots there. That was hilarious. I love the look on your face. <laughs>
1: <laughs> so just think about whether or not it's really worth it. And if it brings you more joy to run in the morning than to drink then next time you know what you would rather do. And I know it's awkward for me, especially if there was like a friend or something who made you have more or maybe the partner that you're at home with, not made you, but like you're engaged in activity that goes well with drinking and you didn't want to not drink anything. Well, maybe you just have to enjoy your glass of water, your big old glass of water in between your little three ounces of wine.
0: My take on it is sort of the physiology of it. So when you are, um, hungover, then your body doesn't have enough water to run the, the crib cycles in the muscles. So, and the, and you can't force, you're not a camel, you can't force it in your, your body, your, cannot take and retain the water in order to do so until it's first filtered out all the alcohol. So is it dangerous? I, you are better the, so if, if, if it had to be like, here's the best thing you could do is wake up, it would be sit in a steam room. Or a sauna to sort of sweat it out a little bit while hydrating to go for a jog. Don't do a hard effort workout. You're nothing good is going to come from it because the the water, if your body doesn't have enough water to run these crib cycles, then your muscles are not hydrated enough. To improve, and if you're already a little dehydrated, which you are, then you also your body's going to be stealing it from your colon, and that is going to cause other problems later. You, this is why a lot of people who drink, um, if you have, if, you, if you're hungover, you have gas, flatulence. That's why, or the other, that's a piece of it. So those two go hand in hand. So I would, I wouldn't force it, but a jog might make you feel a little bit better. A shower will make you feel better, but you can also run in the evening after you've had the day to work through it and hydrate. And you might find that you get more out of it in the evening than you do first thing in the morning, but I get it. That's your body's top priority
1: is to clear that out of your body because Mm -hmm. it has no use for it. It's just for recreation. And I don't want to call it poison because it's, not poison, but your body has no use for it. And it's top priority is getting it out of there. And you really can't force yourself to sober up. Like when people say like, oh, have a coffee or have whatever, whatever, nothing's going to make your body clear it any faster than it can clear it. So you just have to give it time and you need to hydrate. And I mean, yeah, wait, just wait.
0: Cause we can't, what we're dancing around is that we cannot categorically say that it's, that, um, it's totally safe to run with a hangover. Things can happen. So if you I understand, like, we're not your doctors. So we're not saying, like, it's totally fine, but rather, like, use caution. This is not the time for a hard run. If the only option is to run in the morning, it's not the time for a hard run. Your best bet is to either, like, just, you're better off sleeping, hydrating, resting, running in the evening, um, or just, call in the day and that's that's fine too especially right now with all this going on it's not like i'm scared for you running with the hangover but rather we can't what we're saying is we can't guarantee that nothing would happen at the same time i don't think there are any studies correlating alcohol intake and hangover with uh with sports so it's not you know we can't slap we can't categorically say it's safe but we can't slap warning label on it and be like do not ever either use commons common sense sorry i keep getting texts over here they're like are you coming downstairs like yes after this next question Uh, okay so that was too long of an answer for uh on the on surface very simple question let's see if we can do it one more time dolly one last time (laughs) before starting your programs i was a three time per week runner i've slowly worked up to running the full five days and i'm finding that i would like to run on thursday as well music to my ears i love that i've struggled with restless legs and it's so much better on the days that i run that's neurological Ah. that's real Wink. What guidelines or suggestions do you have for adding in a sixth running day per week? Thanks so much. Yay. You can absolutely add a sixth day of 30 to 60 minutes. Start with 30, work your way up, listen to your body. If 30 feels fine and you want to do a little bit more, not because you feel like I can, therefore I should, but it's like, this feels good. One more block. By all means, go for it. But you know, again, Keep it under 145, like 140 to 145, somewhere in there. Um, I cannot give you permission to add a third really hard day, but yeah, let's start there with 30 minutes and ramp it up to 60. I know that when I'm at, um, my happy place, fitness wise, I am running 60 to 90 minutes, six days a week. So I would not, t- I would not deny that to anyone else. I'm just not going to, that's more than maintain, obviously, but that's not to say that that could not, Be you if you have the time, the inclination, and you're there. But I'm also, when I get to that point, I'm probably pulling 60 miles a week without noticing it. Just because I don't like going from 60 to 90 minutes during the week until I am my easy effort pace, my 140 pace is below, is sufficiently below like a 10 minute mile. And and that's only because like, that's just a lot of time. Um, Before that, you can split the runs up which I have no trouble adding a double whenever you want. So let's say uh you start by adding 30 minutes on a Thursday and that feels really good up into a 60. That feels really good. Now you're like, what else can I do? I want more. Okay, that's when we go to doubles because we don't really need to extend the single sessions to 90 minutes until we've added doubles in for 30, 20 to 30 minutes in the evening, starting with one day a week, then two days a week, then three days a week. And then I would be like, do we keep the doubles? Or if we still need to extend, that's when we go and extend the base run. So that is a very, that is generally broadly and generally speaking, what the progression looks like when I'm working with either people who just really like to run or people with really aggressive goals. But we always work on the economy and the efficiency down first, getting them, you know, as strong as possible to get to improve their. Um, You know, and this obviously I'm talking about elites or people that are pretty close. We want to be getting as many miles as possible out of that hour. So we focus on strength, economy, efficiency, and then extending the runs for recreational runners. I feel like that's just stress most of us don't need because we're not going to get paid more or that much closer to the Olympics. So if you like running, that is the, the progression I will talk you through without the pressure on economy or efficiency, if that makes any sense. So
1: I'm not going to drag it
0: out. I don't have anything to add. Well, thank you for, as always, for being so generous with your time and your knowledge. Your big lovey smile makes you so happy.
1: Thanks for having me, everybody.
0: Yay! Chief Nutrition Officer Dahlia Kinsey, welcome to The Fold. We appreciate having you here. Everything coming out of Dahlia's mouth will be setting the tone for our nutrition programs as the company grows. We are so excited to have her with us, and hopefully we'll be seeing her again soon. If you do not already subscribe to Running Life, the official podcast of the Fitness Protection Program, get in there. You're going to miss out. A big conversation with her, me, and Jimmy. Then you lighten up drops this week where we tackle vacation eating, dogs and muffin tops. I still <laughs> God, that title. God, that title. That is, is that actually what I called title? it. In the that's the it is? title. Oh
1: my goodness. That's fabulous. Chris was like, we have I'm to go with it. it. I don't I'm question it. I'm like, I don't okay. know what that'll do SEO wise.
0: Um, but I, I love that. Muffin tops. I'm, I'm still thinking what picture is going to go with this.
1: Oh Okay, okay. Well, I look forward to seeing what you guys choose. I don't want to make <laughs> well, any recommendations because I want to see what y'all think.
0: <laughs> well, I, I barely know what to say. That was that was for me. I, I'm i a prude hearing anyone tell. I just noticed I froze in that conversation. I'm like...
1: Oh, I just couldn't stop laughing.
0: Yeah, no.
1: Everybody, you have to tune in. You have, you have
0: to tune in. It was an amazing conversation. I was struck dumb for a good three minutes. And... I'm I'm sure, I hope that it has the same effect on you. At the end of the day, though, we are all coached. We are loved. And we are are winning at life, whether or not we've heard these conversations. (laughs) Bye.